Welcome to the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast, a free resource for gymnast parents and coaches to learn to fuel the gymnast for optimal performance and longevity in the sport. I'm your host, Christina Anderson, and I'm a pediatric and adolescent registered dietitian, sports nutritionist, a former gymnast, a current nationally rated gymnastics judge, and a wife plus dog mom. I help gymnasts and their parents learn to fuel without the stress or overwhelm so that they can reach their big goals and dreams both in and out of the sport. We want to help parents take a proactive approach to nutrition, and to do so, this podcast is all about hashtag real talk, where we tackle tough subjects about nutrition, body image, and more in the sport of gymnastics. All right, let's dive in. You are listening to episode 14 of the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast. Hello and welcome back. Um, Today, we're going to talk all about the do's and don'ts of gymnasts and supplements. And while you may think that this is um, a little bit more of a dry topic as compared to talking about um, other things that we like to discuss on here, I think this episode is incredibly important, especially for gymnasts who are either current elite gymnasts, college gymnasts, or who have goals for that or even plans for that, right? Like some gymnasts are already committed to universities. You know, some are on that elite track. They're going to test elite this year. They're waiting for their first, you know, invite to national team camp, whatever um, the situation is. So this is going to be information for gymnast parents and coaches to really tuck away, um, kind of in the back of your pocket, and you can use it when you need it. So here's the deal. When it comes to supplements, I think there's three things we need to ask ourselves. Number one, could this supplement, so a vitamin, mineral, powder, potion, whatever you're taking, could this be obtained through food? And it may or may not be able to, especially in the right amounts. Is it safe, which is very concerning? And is it effective, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we all only have so much money and supplements are not cheap. And you could drop, you know, hundreds of dollars on supplements from your chiropractor or from the, you know, natural food store. And really that money could be better spent, like working one-on-one with someone on your nutrition to make sure that you're specifically getting what you need. So um, this episode was really born out of um, just a lot of discussions that I've been having with um, some of my NCAA clients, my elite clients, um, because those two groups of high-level gymnasts are often subjected to random drug testing by their respective organizations. So If you're a collegiate gymnast, you will be subjected to random drug testing by the NCAA. And if you are an elite um, athlete, either USADA, which is the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, or if you're competing internationally, it's WADA, which is the World Anti-Doping Agency. It's important to know that supplements are not regulated as stringently as medications are. So just because it's sold at a store or your medical provider has recommended it, that doesn't mean that it's safe nor effective. So let's first start with kind of the true definition of a dietary supplement. So dietary supplement is a pill, a capsule, tablet, powder, liquid, or other food form um, intended to supplement a whole food diet by providing any combination of the following. So it could have vitamins, it could have minerals, could have amino acids. So those are the building blocks of protein. So protein powders are technically a supplement, or it could be some mixture of herbs and botanicals. So um, different kind of homeopathic remedies, 
um, herbal remedies, so leaves, bark, stem, berries, roots, seeds of plants, so on and so forth. And what most consumers don't know is you really don't know what is in a supplement unless the company has subjected it to third-party testing, meaning they have had to pay an independent outside laboratory to analyze their products and say, yes, you know, it, it has what the label says it has. It doesn't have any banned substances. It doesn't have any impurities or contaminants. And there's various third-party labs out there who do such testing, and they all have different degrees of stringency in terms of what they require. So for general consumers, right? So for you and I, there are several third-party verification labs that are just fine for everyday vitamins, minerals, that kind of thing. So some of them that come to mind would be things like USP, which is United States Pharmacopeia, or Consumer Labs, or Informed Choice, or even like NSF certified. But for elite or collegiate gymnasts, the rules are a lot stricter in terms of testing. So there's really only a few select third-party labs that are considered kind of the gold standard. And those would be NSF for sport and then informed choice for sport. Um, The bottom line, though, is just because it's been third-party tested, that doesn't mean it's 100% risk-free. And the bottom line is that if your gymnast takes a supplement, so protein powder, pre-workout, vitamins, energy drink, something like that, that has um, tainted ingredients or contains banned substances, your gymnast is the one who is responsible and can lose their eligibility or be disqualified or banned from the competition. And that obviously represents thousands of dollars and hours and blood, sweat, and tears, that is certainly not worth the risk. And I would say, unfortunately, when this does happen, um, often the athlete is unaware. And I think a lot of the times some products may even be recommended to them by, I mean, hopefully not a support dietitian because they should know the rules, but maybe a strength coach or, um, you know, some other professional that, you know, they have a good relationship with and they tell them that this is going to improve your performance or help your soreness. Um, and since this person is kind of this authority figure, like they trust them, right? They wouldn't want to harm them. They wouldn't think they would do anything malicious and they're not. It's just that we can't guarantee the product is hundred percent safe. So First off, do gymnasts need supplements? Okay, here's the deal. The tagline of dietitians, and particularly sports dietitians, is food first, okay? But just because we say food first does not mean that we're anti-supplement. And I think there is, though, a lot to be said on focusing what you can add to the diet versus just taking random vitamins and minerals from the drugstore. You get so much more benefit from getting your nutrients from whole food sources versus just kind of randomly supplementing your diet. Um, And even, you know, the worst diets lacking in overall nutrient density aren't going to be fixed by just a bunch of supplements. What we also have to remember is that a lot of vitamins and minerals have something called synergy with one another, meaning that when they are found together, they actually um, have a bigger effect. They can work better together than if they're taken in isolation. So there's a lot to be said for a well-planned, adequate, varied diet that, yes, has a heavy emphasis on foods that are what we consider nutrient-dense, meaning they have a lot of vitamins and minerals and antioxidants. Um, But at the same time, that doesn't mean there aren't specific situations where we may need some supplements. So for instance, um, I always ask for iron and vitamin D labs to be checked on my gymnast at least once or twice a year. 
And for both of those, if an athlete is insufficient or deficient, they cannot consume enough of those nutrients from food to replete um, a low value, right? So if your gymnast has iron deficiency or even iron deficiency anemia, um, it's fabulous to focus on iron rich foods. And that may help to kind of maintain iron levels. But at the same time, if they are deficient, you have to eat the equivalent of like 140,000 calories of red meat in order to get enough iron to replete that level. So that would be a situation where hundred percent, like we do want a supplement, but we want to make sure that we're testing and not guessing. Um, if I have a gymnast that has celiac disease or multiple food allergies, I just know from analyzing their diet, they're going to be low in certain vitamins and minerals, maybe the B vitamins, zinc, magnesium, and depending on, you know, what we can add to their diet, we may consider a multivitamin to kind of use as like nutrition insurance, or you may need to supplement specific things for a period of time, just depending what's going on from a medical perspective. And then there are several supplements that um, do have a lot of research behind them. I call these kind of the advanced strategies of nutrition, where when a high-level gymnast, you know, has the big rocks in place, when they're eating enough, they have performance nutrition, it's well-timed, they have a healthy relationship with food in their body, and they're just trying to get the most out of their body, right? They're just trying to get that last 2 to 3%. Then we can employ, you know, some of these proven supplements and strategies to help them get as far as they can, um, knowing that that's really just the tip of the iceberg. I think parents are really confused. A lot of the times when it comes to supplements, I'll see parents asking other parents, you know, what supplements uh, is your gymnast taking? And that's a horrible idea, right? <laughs> what one parent's gymnast is taking is not necessarily what your gymnast needs. Um, more than likely, they don't really know what they're giving their kid. They're just taking things that were sold to them or recommended to them. Um, and then sometimes medical providers will say, oh, you know, maybe your gymnast should have more vitamin D or, you know, if they find out your kid's a picky eater, they'll tell you that you should be on a multivitamin. Or if your gymnast is complaining of stomach pain, they may recommend a probiotic. And again, I think, um, it really takes some careful thought and consideration, making sure that first off, those supplements are safe. You know, ideally they would be third-party tested, not from like a drug testing standpoint, right? Unless your kid's an elite gymnast or college gymnast, but more so just from a quality standpoint. Like you don't want to waste your money. You want to make sure that what you're buying actually contains what it says it has. But then secondly, often people will recommend supplements to try and put a Band-Aid over a bigger problem. So I'm all about getting to the root cause, right? Why is your gymnast having stomach pain? Do we have some undiagnosed GI condition or are we underfueled? And underfueling will lead to a lot of stomach issues, bloating, slow transit, constipation, could be diarrhea, stomach pain. And just telling them to take a bunch of probiotics isn't going to fix this underlying problem, right? Or for the gymnast that says they're tired and someone says, oh, you should get B12 injections or take B12 or take a B complex. Like we call those the energy vitamins. Um, that's probably not going to fix the issue if your kid is under fueling, if they're not getting enough sleep, if they're overtraining. So I think it's important to take a very stepwise and strategic approach to assessing the diet and deciding which supplements could be helpful and, and which ones aren't. 
In terms of what I tend to use, um, like I said, I think first we test and we don't guess. And then I think it's very important to have a thorough nutrition assessment to see if there are any gaps in the diet or inadequacies in certain nutrients that typical lab tests won't pick up on, taking into account the gymnast's kind of current health status, their age, their injuries. Um, for me, you know, I may use a multivitamin. I may not depends on the gymnast diet depends on honestly compliance and what they're willing to do. Um, I find that for a lot of us compliance with supplements is a huge struggle. So it's not going to do me any good to create the most perfect supplement regimen that your gymnast isn't actually going to take. So I'm very judicious when it comes to recommending supplements because I want your gymnast to be successful. And if she has low iron levels, you know, I want her to put all of her effort and energy into taking her iron supplements when she's supposed to versus if I put her on five different supplements, even if it's ideal and she, you know, only takes half of them or forgets because it's too much and it's too overwhelming, then we haven't done any good. So I think there are times where I might use a high quality multivitamin. Um, I'm definitely going to request lab tests on iron and vitamin D. Um, magnesium is something I will probably supplement. Um, it can help um, increase vitamin D levels. It also um, is implicated in recovery and helping with muscle soreness. Different forms of magnesium can also help with um, sleep. Omega-3s are a pretty proven strategy to help with inflammation. So again, that's kind of a top-level strategy I'll use once a gymnast has all the other big rocks in place. And then anything else that's indicated, right? If a gymnast is maybe vegan or vegetarian, I'd want to make sure they're getting enough B12, enough calcium, so on and so forth. So I think the second thing we need to ask ourselves, you know, number one, can it be obtained through food? And number two, are these supplements safe? And I know that sounds kind of silly, um, but this is a really, really important topic, right? Like I said, college and elite gymnasts are subjected to random drug testing through their respective organizations. And because supplements are not regulated as stringently as medications, they need to be super careful. So for college gymnasts, listen closely. There are basically two third-party laboratories that are the gold standard for product testing, and those include NSF for sport and informed choice for sport. Products that have been certified by one of these entities are generally recognized as safe, although there are no guarantees. So obviously, minimizing the amount of supplements an athlete takes is the least risky, but sometimes supplements are needed and that is okay. I think it is so important that college gymnasts communicate with their um, healthcare team, with their athletic trainer, with their dietitian, with their sports med doc. They need to be reporting what supplements they're on because that's part of compliance and making sure that they're not taking anything that could jeopardize their um, eligibility. But sadly, like I've had gymnasts tell me that they have not disclose what supplements or pre-workout or things they, they are on because they like them and they don't want someone to tell them they can't have it, which I understand that. And at the same time, that's very childish because the whole point of, you know, having another set of eyes looking at what you're taking is to make sure that it's not something that's putting your eligibility at risk. Because ultimately, if you fail that drug test, it, it's on you. Like they don't care. Um, you can have any excuse in the world and it's just not going to matter. There are some other third-party labs that are pretty safe. Like I mentioned earlier, um, if you go to Walmart, Nature Made, um, that supplement line, some of their products will have a symbol on it called USP or United States Pharmacopeia. And while that is fine for the general consumer, their testing is not stringent enough for collegiate or elite athletes. 
if a supplement company advertises a product as clean, or they even say on the bottle, like NCAA compliant third-party testing, you need to check and make sure that it's actually been vetted by the appropriate lab. They can put whatever claim they want to on there, but if it doesn't have that symbol or you can't find it in kind of the registries online, either for NSF for sport or informed choice for sport, then that doesn't mean that it's actually been tested. And just because some of a company's products are third-party tested by NSF for sport doesn't mean that all of them are. Like it's a very expensive process for the company. So one company that comes to mind that I I like a lot of their supplements would be Thorn. And they have several supplement lines for um, different, you know, like USA, I don't know, like hockey or swimming and diving. Like they, they partner with some of those organizations. So they have some of their vitamins and minerals and supplements that are NSF certified for sport, but then they also have other supplement lines that are not. So just because the iron supplement that you take from one company is NSF certified for sport doesn't mean that their multivitamin or their vitamin D or any of their other supplements have also been subjected to third-party testing. And the reason that this is really important is because there are companies who make supplements, which include protein powders that seem pretty benign, right? Like it seems safe. It's just a protein powder. Like, why are we worried about this? And yet if you look up said company, and I'm not going to name names here, Um, They also make fat burning supplements, which first off are ridiculous and don't actually work. But secondly, it's those kinds of supplements that often contain banned substances in them. And because a company produces that kind of supplement, there is a chance that your multivitamin or your protein powder or whatever other supplement you're, you're taking from them could be tainted, right? Like there could have been contamination in that manufacturing process. So For me, I'm never going to recommend a supplement to an athlete if that company makes shoddy products. You know, I don't care how good their protein powder is. I don't care how many pro and influencer athletes use that protein. I don't care how good it tastes. If they are a company that also makes fat burners, sorry, like you lost me. I'm not giving you my business and I'm not recommending you to my clients. Um, Not only just from like a personal ethical perspective, but also just the risk there of contamination. I think it's really tough because oftentimes it's hard to find products that are NSF certified or informed choice for sports certified, um, especially like some of your generic things like calcium or vitamin D. Um, and if they are third-party tested, they're often a little bit more expensive. So I totally understand that sometimes parents are like, oh my gosh, it's calcium from Walgreens. Like, why does it matter? Like, it's just calcium. It's fine. But it, but it's not like as a sports dietitian, and if I was your sports dietitian, I can't guarantee it. So what I tell my college gymnasts and I tell my elite gymnasts, I'm like, look, in order for me to sleep at night and know that there is as minimal risk as possible for you, um, taking something and make sure that you don't fail a drug test, it is best practice to make sure that it is third-party tested by one of these kind of gold standard labs. Um, interestingly, there are some other things that the NCAA bans. Um, oftentimes they're more related to like performance enhancing drugs and different drug classes, but there's one we need to talk about. And that is the category of stimulants. And I'm not talking about like stimulant medications, um, used for ADD or ADHD. 
um, for college athletes or elite athletes who need those medications, they can get an exemption from their physician and it's, it's not a problem. Like it's public knowledge that Simone Biles, um, takes a stimulant medication and she has for years and she's had the appropriate documentation for it. And it's never been a problem for her. So before you freak out, don't worry. Like there are definitely exceptions to this, but caffeine is also considered a stimulant. And the NCAA actually has a limit on how much can be in your system in a 24-hour period. So it's it's somewhere around the range of 500 milligrams of caffeine in a 24-hour period, which seems like a lot, but it's not, right? A 12-ounce Starbucks coffee has about 235 milligrams of caffeine. And I know a lot of college gymnasts that waltz into the gym every morning with some sort of venti Starbucks iced coffee drink. And that's what like probably... 20 ounces, I think, right? A grande 16 venties. I don't know. Regardless, it's huge. And that's a lot of caffeine. So then if you then also have an energy drink later when you're tired in the afternoon, um, you've now just layered even more caffeine. It's also important to know that there are several energy drinks that they made us close the amount of caffeine on the label, but then they also contain other ingredients that they may not quantify. So, um, a big one that is super popular in the college athletic world, and especially for gymnasts would be those cute little aluminum cans of Celsius, Celsius energy drinks, or like the Alani new is a really popular one that to be honest, I see them like sponsoring, um, college gymnasts, which I hate because those drinks tend to have an ingredient called guarana in it or guarana seed extract, and it contains caffeine but its amount may not be quantified on the label. And so it's something called like caffeine stacking, where even if you look at your, you know, energy drink and it says it has 200 milligrams of of caffeine and you're like, Oh, it's fine. Like I'm fine. Well, it may not actually include how much is from the guarana. So I don't know. I think we could have a whole separate episode on energy drinks and why I don't like them. Right. I think it's one thing to strategically use caffeine for performance, which totally can be done. I would not do that unless an athlete has all the big rocks in place. And I definitely would not do that unless they were an adult. Um, two, I think we need to keep in mind that a lot of caffeine can increase anxiety, which is already something that a lot of gymnasts struggle with. And number three, I think a lot of us will use caffeine for energy when what we really need is either food, like regular consistent nourishment and, or enough sleep. So I think oftentimes we use energy drinks or excessive coffee as a crutch for really bad habits and a lifestyle that is out of balance. So there is a whole PDF guide out there on um, like this year, like 2022 to 2023 um, NCAA banned substances. So if you're a parent or a coach, um, we'll link that in the show notes. If you're interested, you can read through that. Um, Obviously, if you're um, involved in college athletics, you're you know, compliance officers, your athletic trainers, your dietitian should all be very familiar with this. Um, if you have an elite gymnast, make sure that you're talking with, um, you know, your sports medicine physicians. If you work with a dietitian, if you work with a dietitian from the USOPC, I mean, they're going to take care of you and tell you what you need. Um, but there's kind of a, a gray area where, um, you know, elite gymnasts can, can do elite without being on the national team, and still be subjected to drug testing. So they may not have those resources um, just as readily available to them. So that's where reaching out to a sports dietitian who's familiar, who can look through your supplement regimen can be super, super helpful. The other thing I want to talk about in terms of safety is we need to consider 
that some supplements can have a drug nutrient interaction with different medications or with other supplements. Did you know that when you take an iron supplement, it needs to be taken at least two hours apart from any sort of calcium supplement or food containing calcium? Otherwise, the iron and calcium bind together and it's not effective. The funny thing is I learned that when I was in school to be a dietitian, yet um, in the last couple of years when I had low iron levels myself and was needing to take iron supplements, um, I thought it probably wouldn't really matter that much. So to try and be consistent, I took my iron supplements every morning about an hour after I had my daily latte. And I can tell you that after three months of religious adherence to my iron supplements, when I got my levels rechecked, they had not budged. And that's because like I knew better, I took it too close to um, the milk that has calcium that was in my latte. So I'm very strict when it comes to if we have tested iron levels and it's indicated that a gymnast needs iron, we literally go through their schedule and make sure that they can take it at a time where it is far enough apart from any other nutrient that could impact its absorption. Because otherwise you're just wasting your time, right? When I was taking my iron supplements an hour after my latte, I wasted three months of still feeling bad, of not getting my iron levels up just because I wasn't taking it at the right time. I think the other thing with supplements is sometimes really high doses can either lead to a toxicity, which is more rare, but it happens, or more than likely, it's going to throw off another nutrient. So oftentimes nutrients kind of work in pairs or they work in groups and too much of one without the other can actually throw levels off and can cause you a whole host of problems. And a really good example of that would be um, long-term supplementation with zinc. So with you know COVID and everything going on, there were tons of people taking like really high doses, like 50 milligrams, 100 milligrams a day of zinc um, because they say that it can help you know protect against viruses and so on and so forth. But long-term supplementation over 50 milligrams a day actually requires additional copper supplementation. And you do not want a copper deficiency. That will not be good for you. Um, but most people don't know that. So I've had several gymnasts that I've worked with over the past couple of years that as we do their initial assessment and I go through their supplements, you know, they've been on 100 milligrams of zinc for like six or nine months, just kind of for COVID preventive measures. And it's at that point that I'm like, okay, we need to stop. And then we also probably need to check um, a copper lab. I'm not saying that it's wrong to take zinc. Like there are certain situations where um, you may need it. It's just something that needs to be monitored. I think another good example that also came out of COVID and some of these supplement protocols people have been using would be excessive vitamin C. So um, they sell all sorts of like immune boosting products on the market, you know, things that have like a thousand milligrams plus of, of vitamin C, you know, per packet or per gummy or whatever. Um, and too much of that can actually form kidney stones. So there's been a lot of nephrologists that have been really vocal of like, oh my gosh, people like stop taking some of these super crazy mega doses of vitamins and minerals and antioxidants because it's actually going to cause a little bit more harm than good. So again, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Um, but I think it just, you need to be very strategic and know exactly what you're taking, if it interacts with something else. And I think the other thing I commonly see is um, like nutrient stacking. You know, I'll get a new client that's on like five, eight, 10 plus supplements. And even though like one of those supplements may be specifically for bone health, it doesn't just have vitamin D and calcium. It's got magnesium. It's got B vitamins. It's got vitamin K. Like it has a bunch of other stuff in it, which, you know, may be fine for the product, but then they're also on a multi and they're also on 
you know, all of these other supplements that also contain small amounts of all those same vitamins and minerals. So when I use that through my like analyzing system and really look at, you know, how much total, you know, B1 and B2 and vitamin C and vitamin A, vitamin E, like sometimes they are borderline, um, excessive. Like we have to really pare back. Um, one of my mentors says <laughs> to do a control delete and essentially say, okay, like, why are we taking this? Who started it? How long have we been on it? Have we tested labs? Like what's the purpose here? Um, and really make sure that what we're taking is effective and is safe and not just making expensive urine. The other thing that people don't always know is that more is not always more. So oftentimes when it comes to sports nutrition and people talking about inflammation, um, you'll hear a lot of topic or talk about like antioxidants, right? And how antioxidants, you know, help protect your body from damage at the cellular level. Therefore, like let's add all these antioxidant powders and green drinks and antioxidant gummies. And you'll find, you know, antioxidants in sports drinks and like all sorts of products these days where we wouldn't normally find them. And here's the deal. Antioxidants are helpful, right? They help protect the muscle and the rest of the body from excessive damage, but the food antioxidants you get are different than supplemental antioxidants produced by the body and are also found in many foods like veggies and fruits, nuts, and seeds. And their job is to keep what we call free radicals in place. So the body makes free radicals in response to environmental insults. So things like smog or UV light, exposure to viruses, bacteria, and during exercise. So you can think of these free radicals, which are technically termed reactive oxygen species or reactive nitrogen species, um, like your puppy, right? I have like an 11 month old (laughs) chocolate lab puppy, um, Remy, some of you know him from Instagram, and sometimes he is the sweetest dog and super snuggly. And other times he is a complete terror. So that's kind of like free radicals, right? We, we need a healthy balance of them. We need them to live. We need them for immune health and for our muscles to function, but in high levels, they can damage the cells. They can impair muscle contraction and they can contribute to muscle weakness, fatigue, and dysfunction. And so the human body combats this harm with antioxidants. So Yes, we do want to eat plenty of antioxidant-rich foods, and that will help prevent excess damage due to too many free radicals kind of running around, but that doesn't mean that we need to put someone on high-dose antioxidant supplements unless there's just a very clear purpose, and here's why. Number one, um, there's actually minimal oxidative stress in response to strength training, is at least what we see in the literature. So it's not like those free radicals are completely going crazy due to just strength training alone. And I know that gymnastics has more than just strength training, but I would say it's a little bit probably strength heavier than like cross country running or marathon running. Antioxidants are not shown to help you make strength or hypertrophy gain. So it's not going to help your muscles grow bigger or grow stronger. The free radicals we've talked about, right? They do good things. They do bad things. They're actually really important signaling molecules. So we need them for our muscles to adapt. So the bottom line here is that there's actually no evidence that high dose antioxidant supplements will help you either heal from an injury or grow your muscles bigger. And anytime you have some sort of inflammation or injury, your immune system knows what to do. Like it immediately starts trying to clean up the injuries and setting the stage for new tissue growth. And so free radicals are part of this process, helping to kind of signal where nutrients need to go and what needs to start, you know, getting more attention in terms of the healing process. So 
I think it's really trendy, especially looking at like collegiate and professional athletes who are partnering with different supplement companies to try and kind of biohack with mega doses of antioxidants. But there's actually um, could be a harmful effect from that. So I think sticking to foods that are rich in antioxidants, which are basically anything that's colorful, okay, anything colorful, fruits, veggies, things that are nutrient dense, um, that natural form is going to be a lot more helpful um, than potentially the harmful effects of like mega doses of supplemental antioxidants. All right. So the third thing that we need to ask when it comes to supplements is, are they effective? Supplement claims are not well regulated, so you can't necessarily believe what the product says. And I think a really good example of this would be the supplement line Juice Plus, right? It's a really popular vitamin and antioxidant supplement. Um, and it's really popular in the gymnastics community. Um, it's actually endorsed by like a former Olympic gymnast. And this is a multi-level marketing company that tells you that if you take, you know, several of their fruit and veggie gummies every day, you're going to get over 30 different fruits and vegetables. And if you actually look at the science, the claims that they make about the health improvements are outrageous. They're not backed by sound clinical research. And then if you just stop and use your head, it doesn't make sense. Like why could you just simply take six sugar, fruit, and veggie gummies a day and somehow miraculously improve your health? Like, it's just not that simple. I think everyone is always looking for a, sil a silver bullet. Like this is why parents are asking what supplements is your gymnast on? What supplements should my gymnast be taking? And it's like, that's the tip of the iceberg. Like that's not going to help you if you don't have the big rocks in place. I think another good real world example would be the plethora of turmeric supplements on the market. People will hear sound bites in magazines or social media that turmeric is anti-inflammatory. So they'll think, oh yeah, that's something my gymnast needs to be on. What people don't know is that it's actually the curcumin or curcuminoid content of that turmeric supplement that is the actual anti-inflammatory ingredient. And so number one, your turmeric supplement may not have enough of the curcuminoids, but number two, most forms of turmeric supplements are not well absorbed. So you're really just making expensive urine. Outside of absorption issues, another would be just related to like the active ingredient quantity. And a good example of this would be omega-3 supplements. So these are one of the most researched nutrients in terms of muscle soreness and inflammation in athletes, but there's actually only really two specific omega-3s that have an anti-inflammatory benefit to them. And that is EPA and DHA, eicosapentaenoic acid and docosahexaenoic acid. So there's a lot of omega-3 supplements out there that will claim to have like a thousand to 2000 milligrams of omega-3s. Like that's what the front will say. If you look at the back of the label, it'll say, you know, take two pills to get this amount. But what actually matters is that EPA and DHA content. So even if the front of the supplement says a thousand milligrams of omega-3, if you turn it around to the back and the actual EPA DHA content only adds up to 250, that supplement is now like 25% the strength that you're expecting. So if someone tells you, you need to take, you know, a thousand to 2000 milligrams a day, and you're just taking two capsules, you're actually only getting 250 milligrams of those actual anti-inflammatory, um, EPA and DHA fats. So again, I think it's important to focus first on a well-balanced, varied nutrient dense diet. And I think that can take care of a lot of issues. I think there are situation, um, specific examples where, you know, your picky eater may benefit from a multivitamin or just high level gymnasts that have a lot of wear and tear may need that to kind of fill in the gaps for high level gymnasts. I always ask for iron and vitamin D labs at least once or twice a year as indicated, 
And then there are those advanced strategies, looking at magnesium, looking at um, the omega-3s, looking at turmeric, looking at creatine that we 100% can use, you know, as indicated and very strategically, and also making sure that we're monitoring them and just not blindly taking a bunch of supplements and then forgetting about it. So the bottom line is that the supplement industry is the wild west when it comes to product claims and um, testing and purity, and you really have to be careful. I think for most parents and gymnasts, you need to spend your time and energy and money on focusing on getting your gymnasts to eat enough, right? Making sure that they're not underfueled, making sure that they're fueling their workouts and recovery so that these big rocks of nutrition are in place. Honestly, the big rocks will probably get you 80 to 90% of the way, if not more. Then I think we can implement these advanced strategies as needed, as indicated. And that in my mind is kind of the magic formula, you know, to helping a gymnast get what they need for optimal performance and longevity in the sport. So if you want to learn more, if you have um, a collegiate gymnast or an elite gymnast, and they don't have someone on their healthcare team that can look at their supplements or you're wondering if all the things that they're taking, if they even need them, if they're effective, if they've never had lab testing done, um, I would encourage you to reach out. We take a very limited number of high-level one-on-one clients every month, just depending um, how our roster is and people starting with us and kind of graduating from us. So um, please reach out. You'll find a link for more information in the show notes. And then if you just want to learn how to fuel your gymnast, if you need the big rocks of nutrition, you need to know how to build meals, how to build snacks, um, what nutrients we need to be focusing on. If we do need to check labs, how to make sure they are getting enough to grow and develop and all the things I invite you to check out our three month VIP program. So that's for level five, six through 10 gymnasts and parents. Um, there's more information in the show notes. And as always, feel free to reach out, um, connect with me on Instagram. I love chatting with you guys. You can shoot me an email. I answer all of my emails, um, personally, and we would love it if you could leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Um, that helps our podcasts kind of bump up in the rankings and it helps Apple iTunes to share our podcast with more gymnast parents and coaches. So with that, um, we'll be back next week with another topic relevant to fueling the gymnast and hope you guys have a good one. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the gymnast nutritionist podcast sponsored by the balanced gymnast method course. Make sure to hit the subscriber follow button. So you don't miss out on any episodes. You can find any links that we mentioned in the show notes of the episode and also how you can work with us. If you're looking to learn to fuel your gymnast for optimal performance without the stress or overwhelm, feel free to email us. If you have any questions, you can reach us at support at christinaandersonrdn.com, share what's going on and we'll get back to you. Or you can learn more about our programs by going to our website, christinaandersonrdn.com slash work with us. Bye for now.